Your son, he's gone. He was weak and foolish, like his father. So I destroyed him. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Weak and Foolish Movie Podcast. My name is Mike Tang, and with me is... Job Ng. In this episode, we will be discussing our top 10 films of 2019. Now, this is an episode I've been looking forward to for a very long time. For movie fans, top 10 lists are a thing you just do. And top 10 films of the year lists are probably the most exciting to compile and share with other movie fans. In the past, towards the end of the year, I feel like Job and I would just give our weekly updates on what our top 10 lists were. After a new movie, I would watch, uh, I would text him my updated list and vice versa. But this year, we deliberately didn't discuss anything, so we have no idea what our lists are, and now we're about to find out. And I'm very stoked to see what some of, uh, Job, your favorite movies were uh, for 2019. Uh, for those of you tuning in for the first time, uh, each of our podcast episodes usually begins with a non-spoiler discussion, followed by a spoiler discussion. But for the purposes of today's episode, we will only be discussing the films in non-spoiler detail. The goal is here to uh, is to recommend these films to whoever's listening, our, our friends, our family members uh, who may not have had a chance to see some of these movies. So we won't divulge any plot details today. We'll just explain why we loved each movie. So before we begin, uh, I just wanted to recap 2019 because I think it was a very unique year for movies. The uh, first 10 months of the year were pretty slow, in my opinion, in terms of really high caliber films. I couldn't even form a top 10 list because there hadn't been enough movies that I loved uh, that much. So not that the movies were terrible, but I just hadn't felt anything strong about them. But the last two months of the year, November and December, they were jam-packed with spectacular movies. I felt like every week a new movie would be released that garnered high praise from critics and audiences and it got to the point where every movie i watched was shaking up my list and it made it really difficult to decide what should even be in my top 10. Um, Job, i just wanted to ask you how did you feel about 2019 in terms of uh, movies what was this your experience as well did you feel the same way absolutely yeah i you know a lot of times when i log uh, a, a film on letterboxd or whatever you know um I, I give it a rating and I think, man, am I just on a high from watching this film? You know, it's like I, I just got I just watched this. I just got out. I'm really excited. Five out of five, you know, um, in the same way as I was compiling this list, uh, I felt the same way that, uh, towards the end of the year. So many new films were entering the top 10 and I, I won't go into too much further because I'm going to spoil like what might be in there. But um it certainly sh- shook up a lot of my uh, my list uh, at the end of this year. Um, I I can't remember a stronger year in movies overall. I mean, we it, it kind of feels backloaded, but there were a lot of strong films early on in the year too. And um, I just think it's been a, a good, good, good refreshing thing to kind of have an enjoyable uh, film to watch throughout the year. Or something I actually truly enjoyed or like looked forward to. Um, there wasn't a dead period, really. Um, and even some of the films that weren't so strong were still really enjoyable. Uh, I don't think there's any. So what I did is I, I have a list of every film I watched um, that, that came out in 2019. And um, 
I, I would rank all of them. And even the ones towards the bottom, I, I don't, I didn't hate any of, I didn't hate any movie this year, I think. Actually, that's not true, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I feel the same way. Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. Like, after, towards the end of the year, like I said, right, I felt like every movie I was watching was was really awesome, like high caliber film. And right. uh, I really started questioning myself, is this recency bias or are these actually great exactly. films? Yeah. <clears throat> Um, another thing I think you mentioned that I kind of want to bring up, I was going to bring it up at the end of the episode, but since you mentioned it, um, I'll just talk about it here, but there's an app for movie lovers called Letterboxd. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, Letterboxd. And it's an app for movie lovers where you can log, uh, you can basically log all the movies that you've seen. So after I watch a movie, I'll just enter it in into the app and then it'll show up on a news feed. Uh, kind of like in Instagram and Facebook where you see people's posts on pictures or articles. Uh, on Letterboxd, you actually see what all your friends have been watching and, you know, when. So I'll see that Job saw 1917 last night and he really liked it. Um, so that... <laughs> yep. <coughs> it's just a really cool way to kind of see uh, and, and have that sense of uh, community amongst movie fans. And you can easily create top 10 lists and look at other people's lists. Uh, it's a really easy system. And you can, it also collects stats. What, what, how many movies do you give five stars, four and a half stars, four stars? How many movies did you watch in 2019? How did you rate them? So it's a really cool app. Uh, we both started using it in 2019, and I think we're going to continue to use it uh, from now on. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, wanted to give a shout-out to this uh, awesome resource for movie lovers. Yes. All right, so for those who are listening, we will both start off by giving our number 10 films. So Job's going to go first, then give his uh, number 10, and then I'm going to give my number 10. And then we will work our way up to our number one movie of the year. Then afterwards, we will be discussing some honorable mentions for movies that didn't make into our top 10. And then finally, we'll end uh, this episode with our top five most anticipated movies for 2020. So without further ado, Job, tell us, what is your number 10 film of 2019? I hope you're all uh, rolling a drum roll right now because the anticipation is killing you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, my, my, my number 10 is a film called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, by, uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino Nino Nino. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I really love this film. I enjoyed kind of the it, it really feels like a throwback movie in that there's a bit of a feeling of escapism um, and it, it obviously takes place during a, a real golden age of Hollywood when um, a lot of film stars were larger than life. Uh, but what I really enjoyed was also just um, some of the not so glamorous parts the the parts that are off the screen where you see how these actors and um in hollywood function uh leonardo DiCaprio gives a great performance it is kind of standard starter pack leo in <laughs> um in that he yells a lot and is really dramatic and there's a lot of shots of his piercing blue eyes you know um and brad pitt does a great job in this film too uh, 
and Margot Robbie does. It, it's a good ensemble cast, uh, really enjoyable. Um, and Tarantino just has a way of making his movies look gritty, but also golden. I don't know if you know what I mean, Mike, but it, it's kind of got this like glamorous grit to it. And it's probably because he sh- shoots on film still. But yeah, that's my number 10. We did an episode on this too. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed that movie. I love Quentin Tarantino. And I think this is definitely one of uh, his better films. Uh, I, so yeah, I, mm-hmm. I totally see why it's in your, your top 10. Cool. Uh, my number 10 is a film called The Irishman. Uh, This is the gangster film uh, of a cinephile's dreams. Uh, If I told you the cast for this movie, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, they're the trinity of gangster uh, gangster movies, right? Uh, These guys are in like everything. Uh, I feel like that's enough. Just those three guys in one movie, that's enough to get people excited. Just those three guys alone. But then to top it all off, this is written and directed by Martin freaking Scorsese. Um, so this is the gangster film, right? But I, what's surprising to me is it's actually very far from what you would expect from a Scorsese gangster film starring these three guys. It's a huge contrast from what he's known for, which was uh, Goodfellas. And in that movie, he made it when he was 47 years old. It was briskly paced, had amazing cuts and camera moves, really quick, snappy dialogue, lots of yelling. And despite what the film shows, uh, is trying to say Goodfellas actually glamorizes the life of a gangster. Uh, it made it really cool and, and made them look really tough. Uh, Scorsese is now 77, and he's had a lifetime of stories to look back and reflect on. And I think The Irishman is an amazing companion piece to Goodfellas and how it is a complete contrast. Uh, this film is very slow-paced. It's very quiet. It's extremely meditative. It takes all the glamour out of the gangster, gangster uh, genre, and it, it views it from an older man's point of view, uh, someone who is near the end of his life looking back at everything that it cost him. It's a really long movie. It's three hours and 30 minutes, but it's, I think it's a must-see for anyone who loves the genre, who loves uh, these actors, and who loves the filmmaker. Um, so, yeah, this is my number 10, The Irishman. Nice. Okay, uh, Job, uh, what is your number nine? My number nine is a film called The Farewell, written and directed by Lulu Wang, Wong. Um, and what I really loved about this film is, uh, first of all, I, I, I identify a lot with this movie in that I am Asian American, um, just as Aquafina's character is. And there's a lot here that um, kind of, captures what it feels like to live in to really be immersed in two really polar opposite cultures Um, there's eastern culture and there's western culture and for an asian american we're kind of just in the middle of it all and it's this roiling storm of different cultures different uh, mindsets and I, I found a lot of personal enjoyment from following and watching this movie. I would recommend it to anyone, but especially to those of us, um, those of our friends who listen who are Asian American and you haven't made, made it out to see this, go find it on any on-demand or streaming service that you can find it and, and really just watch it. And maybe watch it with your parents and your family too. I, I think it would be a, 
a really healing experience because everything's just portrayed fairly. And what I really love about this movie is it's just kind of a portrait of, of life. It There's no... A lot of times in films, sometimes they kind of push you towards a certain mindset or pull you away from a certain mindset and kind of lightly preach at you or or like in your face preach at you. But this this film kind of just presents what life is like. And this is this is what it is. And it's very gentle and very warm and um, very heartfelt. So number nine, The Farewell. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love this movie too, and I, I totally agree with you. Uh, it felt really great to see an Asian American story represented on the screen, and uh, yes. love the performances uh, too. In addition to what you were saying, like I felt like everyone did such a great job uh, with act with the acting. You know, the grandmother f- to Aquafina to the parents, uh, they're all they sold all the characters so well. Agreed. All right, uh, my number nine film is Little Women. This is the best crossover movie of the year after Avengers Endgame. And what I mean is that the cast is just stacked, right? We got Sorcha Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep. There were scenes where I fanboyed for reasons having nothing to do with this movie. There was a scene with Laura Dern and Meryl Streep. They, they're talking, and then that was a big Little Lies reunion. That was really cool to see both of them in another movie set in a different time period. And then Florence Pugh comes in with a crown of flowers on her head, like midsummer. It was just like bizarre to see all these different people from all these uh, bigger other movies, you know, really noteworthy movies and shows, and then they converge into this one movie. Uh, but you know, but in all seriousness, I, I felt like Little Women was just really well made. All the actors are so good in their roles. Everyone is very charming and lovable. Uh, each character is clearly defined, and they all have. I felt like an equal amount of time on screen together and then also separately. Uh, I feel like this story has been adapted several times already in movie form, but mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig injects really nice contemporary touches into how it's told. Uh, something unique, I think, about this adaptation is that the events unfold in nonlinear fashion, jumping back and forth between past and present. So overall, it, it was a lot of fun. It was very engaging. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of drama in, ter- in turns. Uh, I, I feel like it's the ultimate soap opera because it's you know it's based on a really old story, and uh, yeah, uh, it's a fantastic film. Highly recommend it. And it's it's very tasteful and and sweet and um, very wholesome. Yes, awesome choice. Uh, I agree. Give Greta Gerwig any project she wants. I I will watch it. <laughs> That's it's a darn yeah i mean it's a darn shame that she got snubbed by the oscars because really i oh, i felt like even, even more so than ladybird uh, i feel like this was an even stronger film uh for her i agree I feel, yeah. yeah so i don't know i don't know what they're up to but oh well uh joe what is let's uh let's hear your number eight film all right number eight yeah this might be a surprise uh is star wars the rise of skywalker number eight um this film is not here because it's an um, achievement in cinema. It's not here because it's a masterpiece of any sort. Um, but it is here because it is Star Wars, and I love Star Wars. Um, this film is a movie that had to do a lot. It had to close up the story of 42-plus years in the making when George Lucas first made this space opera 
1977 called Star Wars. And to close up a story that long and that spanning spanning that amount of time is a huge achievement. And I think that J.J. Abrams and company um, did a great job of closing up as much as they could. And it didn't satisfy everything I would have liked. It didn't satisfy um, some of the questions I still had. And it also introduced a lot of new questions. But overall, it was an enjoyable ride. And I really loved seeing the cast together. Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and Poe uh, po, <laughs> po Isaac, Oscar, <laughs> Oscar Isaac uh, together. <laughs> together. Uh, their chemistry is great. Um, and their the way they play off of some of the legacy characters is really special, too. Um, and to incorporate... Carrie Fisher one last time into a, a film was really meaningful. It was a big deal. And so I would say this is my number eight movie of the year because it's an enjoyable, uh, fun ride. Not because it's really great or anything. <laughs> um, there are a lot of flaws, a lot of issues. Um, but if you want to hear more about our thoughts, you can go to our episode of that. I like how you mentioned Leia just now and how that was handled because in the episode where we talk about Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, we actually forgot to mention how the film handled uh, Leia and oh, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, totally. Like, I, I love how that was all done. It, it felt very fitting uh, for the saga. I I don't know. I just uh, I don't feel like it it was a satisfying culmination for like a 40 year uh, saga. It, it felt like a closer for the trilogy, but not so much episodes one through nine. Uh, I personally yeah. want to see more because uh, there are certain things I think in a, in a conclusion to a franchise this long that it should have had and it didn't. So I'm hoping we do get more. I'm hoping it does continue despite the fact that they said this is the end, but I don't know. We'll totally see. Fair. Yeah. Totally fair. Totally <laughs> fair. Uh, my number, number eight. eight, yeah, my number eight is Marriage Story. The mm -hmm. writer-director, Noah Baumbach, he is able to blend really serious emotional drama with laugh-out-loud comedy. It's a really crazy tonal juggling act that he does so perfectly, and I think it's so evident in this movie. Uh, it's a huge gut punch that I feel like it brings us through <clears throat> the process of divorce and the emotional beats that a, separa that a separation like this might feel like. Um, I love how so much information in the movie is conveyed through costume and production design. And you can't say that about a lot of movies. Uh, like, for example, both Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's characters, they consult different lawyers for the divorce. And you see so much in the offices of the lawyers, how it's decorated, the colors, even the, the, the clothing that they wear. It communicates so much about the lawyer themselves and what they represent. And I think... It's a fantastic way to show, not tell, and something that's unique to the film medium. And Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, they are fantastic. It's so great to see them both in these roles as regular, everyday people. Um, that you know, it's very different than what we're used to seeing them as. You know, in the action fantasy genres that they're mostly known for. So, uh, really great film, really small, intimate film. Uh, and I, yeah, really enjoy the performances. Excellent. I have thoughts on this that we will talk about later. Oh, a small oh. teaser there. Mm. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Um, 
your Job, your number seven. My number seven is one you've mentioned, The Irishman. I adored this film. I sat down to watch it on Netflix. And just to give you a taste of like the distracted nature of my movie watching habits. <laughs> I I if I'm alone and no one's around, I'm gonna be distracted by a movie or by other things. My phone's gonna go off or I'm gonna need to use a restroom. I get hungry and grab a bag of chips. <laughs> um, but for this movie being three hours plus long, I stayed put the whole time. I was riveted to my seat. Um, I couldn't move. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't a thriller or anything. It wasn't something that would you would think could hold someone's attention, but just the gravitas of the actors on the screen and the nature of the the subject matter, um, really a deconstruction of the gangster genre, kind of like what you mentioned before, was really fascinating to me and. Um, let me just say the de-aging technology to de-age Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci in this film was as flawless as you can get, I think. Um, there were a few moments in this movie where you could see kind of the pastiness of it. And also, <laughs> there is one scene, not to spoil too much, where <laughs> Robert De Niro kicks down a guy um, as he's supposed to be a 30 30 something year old and it just doesn't work <laughs> he, i know like, i know what you mean <laughs> you know exactly what i'm talking about he, he looks like he's like a 70 year old man trying to kick someone but he's supposed to be like 30 or 40 that's right yeah his face looks young but his body is just kind of stiff uh and god bless him he he did a great he, he gave it all he had but um that's where the effects broke but mad props to Martin Scorsese for taking risks, even as a, such an established filmmaker um, and at his advanced age, um, to really kind of do a, almost a meta commentary on the movies that came before that he made, as well as pushing the limits of technology and, and really just saying, hey, we want to like the story calls for these guys to be young men and we're going to use them, you know, is is just kind of phenomenal and um, that's why it is in my top 10 that is why the Irishman is number seven awesome yeah uh, really great film it is it's so long to get through and uh, to be honest I had to I had to pause it a couple of times just because my my second son was recently born and uh, we constantly he kept interrupting us so uh, I I definitely need to go back and rewatch it again I'm sure I would appreciate it even more. It is my number ten movie, but I think it might might have been higher had uh, it not either not been so long or my son had not interrupted it so much. Uh, all right, my number seven is Joker. Uh, Batman is actually my favorite fictional character of all time. He's been with me since I was a kid, and I actually enjoyed all the iterations of the character on screen. Batman and Robin came out when I was a kid, so I couldn't tell that it was not good. But uh, this film takes the mythology of that world and brings it down to the level of Taxi Driver and Mean Streets. It's so dirty and grimy and real. This is a Gotham City that we haven't seen before. And I think the cinematography beautifully captures a city that's really on the verge of a revolution. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance as a Joker is so nuanced and complex. He goes in a completely different direction than Heath Ledger did. 
but so um, I, I put it. I put him actually on the same level as Heath Ledger's performance. Uh, they're both wow. amazing. I'm not saying one is better or the other. I, I just think they're different takes on the character, and they're both legitimately uh, memorable and amazing. And you know how it weaves the Joker story into the bigger world of Batman is was actually very surprising and a lot of fun. I know the movie gets a lot of crap for not really having anything to say. It's very soft on his message. Maybe it's not clear enough. But, you know, in the end, it's it's a comic book movie. And it's just a comic book movie adapted into, uh, like, the real world, uh, as real as it can be. And, you know, I appreciate it for, for what it is. So, yeah, my number seven is Joker. Nice. Honestly, Mike... Uh, I'm 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 surprised so far. I'm surprised at how different our lists are. I'm, this makes me excited as we get through it. Some yeah, more. I am. Uh, I mean, I I actually agree with you on all your all your picks. But um, yeah, it's 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 so surprising. Just yeah, how uh, kind none of, of the our order of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So far, the only overlap we've had was uh, the Irishman. That's the only movie yeah. we've shared so in common so far. So far, so far. Let us see. Yeah, I agree with you on Joker. Um, it's it's a well crafted film. I, as I was watching it, I, I thought this is so good, but I was also so creeped out and unsettled by kind of what I was seeing. So I wouldn't. I don't know if I would wholeheartedly recommend it to anyone, but it is a great film and a, a work of art. I, I I believe so. I agree with you on that. So. Yeah, definitely it's not for the uh, faint of heart. Uh, if you can't handle no, no. things that are like re- disturbing images or like, you know, really dark scenes that make you feel terrible for the characters, uh, definitely yeah. avoid this film. Yeah. All right, uh, Joe, I, what is your number six? Sorry, one more one more thought on that film, um, if, if, if that's all right. Um, I, I think the movie has a lot to say, actually. It's just not saying what most people want it to say so that's just a thought um i i would say that there are maybe other movies that are probably on both of our lists um that i think have a similar message as joker but they say it in a better way and, and you know i'm sure, sure i'm sure we're gonna have to start to have some overlaps uh, as we get towards the top of our list i think so um, i think so. yeah yeah, so we'll right, come back to this six, discussion right? on Joker. Yeah, we'll come back to the discussion on Joker later. But yeah, you're number six. Okay, my number six is a Korean film called Parasite um, by Bong Joon-ho. Uh, this film I just recently saw um, just a couple weeks ago. and uh, After, after I had t- told you how many times to watch it. <laughs> and after... Uh, wow yeah i i i tried so hard to get into the theater to to watch it and schedule wasn't working out but um (laughs) i'm just giving you a hard time (laughs) i know i know uh one funny thing was i i texted mike and said hey i'm watching frozen right now he's like you're watching frozen before parasite (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, that's right that's right yeah (laughs) i am so um but yeah parasite uh, this movie is great. It's uh, got great acting. I think the directing was sublime. Um, it it's it's about class. It's about um, kind of 
the differences in society, but it's also this, it, it's just, it, it feels like it's two films in one. Um, the first act, it's kind of what you would expect from the trailers, it, and it's kind of this fun, kind of mischievous caper of a film, and then suddenly, like, the, the hammer just gets dropped and it shifts tone. It's a completely different movie, but it also fits because what I really love about this film is that it actually sows like a lot of the stuff at the beginning. If you're not paying close attention, you'll miss um, that ties into stuff that happens later in the film. Uh, and I just, I love when movies do that really. And so that's, um, that's, that's one thing that I, uh, really enjoyed about Parasite. There's there's a whole lot of stuff, but the acting was really solid too. And um, I will say um, one of the characters um, s- sounds like an anime villain, <laughs> just like the deepness of his voice and the way he delivers it. Uh, I don't know if you know what, who I'm talking about, Mike. but I know um, exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm so glad. <laughs> uh, it... It took me out of the scene for a while, but then I got used to it. But I thought it was really funny at first. So um, that is my number six. That character, I it sounded like he it was dubbed, like his voice. That's yes. that, his actual voice, and it was dubbed over for some reason. Yeah, but that's yeah. how like weird it sounds. Like it's it's very deep and manly, but it doesn't fit the person <laughs> saying it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, yeah. That's right, going to be uh, the my, takeaway everyone has from... That's what they thought of this movie, is the anime guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, my, my number six movie is Uncut Gems. Uh, this, this is the most stressful movie I've ever seen. And what I mean is that by that is the main character digs himself into a hole and keeps digging further and further into the hole throughout the entire movie. He makes one bad decision after another, and we as the audience, we can do nothing but watch him plummet into this abyss. Uh, it, it, whether you like the film or not, you have to concede uh, to the brilliance of the Safdie brothers and how they've crafted such a roller coaster ride. Uh, I feel like the movie that this is most similar to is actually Dunkirk, believe it or not. Ooh, it's just a thrill ride from beginning to end. Uh, and one of my friends criticizes the movie. like He didn't like it because... He felt like there wasn't anything about the characters. The characters kind of just stayed the same. Um, I, I felt like you could say that about Dunkirk as well, right? It's not really about the characters. It's actually about creating this emotion that you feel, a sustained emotion throughout the entire film. And I feel like it's impossible to come out of this movie without feeling anything. Uh, the cast is awesome. Adam Sandler gives the performance of his life. Idina Menzel shows a drastically different side of her that we haven't seen before, a darker side. And then there's Kevin Garnett, KG. Uh, that dude is actually pretty good at acting. Um, and how they weaved uh, this story uh, in with an actual NBA series, playoff series, uh, it, is, it was awesome. Like, it was so much fun. Um, I, I like the roller coaster ride. It didn't, you know, it made me stressed out, but I kind of enjoyed, I, I kind of enjoyed ro- roller coasters in that way. So. Uh, yeah, just a great film, uh, but I don't recommend it for everyone. It is definitely a hard R uh, film. Uh, lots of swearing. One, I think it's in the top 10 uh, list for most uh, F-words in a movie. So if that's not yeah. your thing, then uh, definitely not for you. Excellent. Um, this is a film I didn't watch, so I have no thoughts on this. 
but uh, yeah. I'm really glad you liked it. I, it was, it's been on my list to go see and kind of like with Parasite, I just haven't gotten out to see it. But Yeah. It's because you saw Star Wars four times. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> December was busy. December was a busy month. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Job has a big family, so uh, lots, of, <laughs> lots of obligations. Yeah, a lot of in-laws. All right, so so far our our so far in our top ten from numbers ten through six, we've only had one overlap, which is the Irish. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's so, different placement too. So, yeah. All right. All well, right. now we're, we're now we're, we're now time for the time for the top five. Oh, here we go. If your drums weren't rolling before, they better be now. Um, <laughs> I'm at the edge of my seat. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like about halfway on my seat right now. Um, number five, this is uh, the next overlap, is Marriage Story. I, we, we actually watched this together um, as you, me, and our wives, and we had to go halfway through, but we finished it. Um, this film uh, affected me deeply. Uh, it, as kind of a more newlywed uh, person, um, seeing kind of the... So I'm in that, like, everything's awesome. And, you know, obviously we have disagreements and things are hard, but um, we're in a, the early stages. And to kind of see the death of a marriage was really impactful. And it didn't really make me feel worried necessarily because we are watching kind of a, a, a story of two people who don't have a faith, it seems, um, are pretty agnostic and also just are just really caught up in world world focused and self-focused mindsets and mentalities um it's just kind of interesting to to see it it was definitely a strong portrait of marriage and the brokenness of this particular marriage that we're watching but um my huge takeaway also is just like you mentioned before the acting was spectacular Uh, adam driver is so good at one moment being completely fallen apart and like broken and screaming his head off and at other parts like really warm and vulnerable and even charming and it just shows the wide range of this guy's acting and Scarlett Johansson is proves that she was more than just a Marvel superhero before this movie Um, she really did a great job too um, of just kind of her eyes and the expressions in her eyes were really good. They, they communicated kind of like this ability to nearly fall apart, but also be strong. Um, so Marriage Story is my number five. It was really up there. Um, I love how the film was shot also. It, it looks really nice. I, I believe it was shot on film, but don't quote me on that. Um, and it just kind of lent this this real grounded reality to, to the whole, all the proceedings. So that is my number five marriage story. Yeah, I I mean, just to kind of uh, build off of what you just said, uh, I, I think, you know, neither of us, I mean, we're, we're both relatively young in our marriages and, you know, God willing, <laughs> neither of us gets a divorce. But uh, I think the beauty of these movies, movies like this, is that even though we may not have gone through that experience, the movie does such a great job of making us feel like what it would feel like, you know, to mm. to 
separate. And the pain that it causes not just the spouses, but also the the, uh, the children as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. My number five is Parasite. And you've already kind of talked about it. Um, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about Bong Joon-ho. I think he's the Hitchcock of the 21st century. He's just a master of mixing genres and just twisting things around. Um, he knocks it out of the park with this one. I didn't watch a single trailer for this movie before I saw it, and I was so glad I didn't. Uh, it's so unique and original, and that's not a word we can throw around these days. Uh, we've uh, he's he's doing he's treading new territory here with this film, and I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it. You you guys already know whoever's listening to this, you already know there's a character who sounds like. Uh, an anime character, but uh, but that's it. That, that's about it, right? Like we haven't really yeah. said much. Um, so I don't think I want. I don't want to divulge anything more about the story. Yeah. But uh, I will say this: this is another film I saw late at night, and I was awake, wide awake for the entire thing, uh, from beginning to end. And there's a point in the middle of the movie where I just, I was hooked. I was like at the edge of my seat. I would lean forward physically in my seat. Um, I will say this though, it's not my favorite Bong Joon-ho movie. Uh, I, it's still Mother, uh, which came out earlier uh, this decade. But uh, this is definitely a, a very close second place to Mother. Um, so highly recommend Parasite. Please go see it. Uh, it is also not a movie for the faint of heart as well. So if mm-hmm. you don't like suspense and thrillers, then this is not for you. But the social commentary in this movie is very biting. And I feel like it's way more clear in this film than it, it was in Joker. Um, uh, yeah. All right, Job, your number four. Uh, number four is a movie called Ford versus Ferrari. Um, oh, this nice. film. Yeah, I really enjoyed this film too. Um, Christian Bale and Matt Damon both knock it out of the park and each other uh it's it's a great film i think it's one of it's probably matt damon's best performance in years i haven't particularly enjoyed anything he's he's done or anything i've seen that much in a while and um i don't know what it is but he he really he really got me this time around. He delivered a vulnerable performance, but also a really meaningful one. I think the movie itself is a great uh, picture of the difference between kind of two warring uh, motivations in car manufacturing. And really, in, it's, it's also about art versus commerce. Um, in this film, obviously, it's about two companies, two car companies facing each other off and um, trying to prove that they have the better cars. Um, <clears throat> Ford, the CEO of Ford, um, is made to look kind of like a mustachio twirling villain. I didn't particularly hate that. It kind of gave us some emotional anchor um, for the movie. But uh, at the end of the day, it's about um, those who build the cars, who put the cars together and race them. And... Um, it's you know a lot of times companies competing against each other is really just the egos of some of their higher ups um, trying to like outdo each other and there's those in in the in underneath who are building out the actually building out the machines that that power their profits and 
I just think it's it was a cool thing. I, it wasn't so preachy and high-handed as I'm making it sound, so I apologize to all of you guys. It's also thrilling. It's the 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 cars racing on the track felt really visceral and real. I I believe they shot a lot of it um, practically, um, and it's just a thrill ride from beginning to end. And Christian Bale also just was so good in this film. He is such a kind of a jerk, but such a lovable jerk in this movie. And so that is why Ford vs. Ferrari is number four um, on my list. Awesome. I, I'm surprised to find this movie so high up in your list. Not mm. that it wasn't good. Like, I really enjoyed it, too. Um super suspenseful and thrilling like i love the way that the race scenes are cut together they're they're taking full advantage of the camera technology now that's available and how you can Mm -hmm. put where you can place the camera on the car to give you that feeling of how fast you're going um i i kind of wish the movie explored more about the le mans le mans race uh, we were sitting next i was sitting next to my friend uh, our friend uh, derek rover uh, during this movie yes. and he was actually explaining to me a lot about the racing culture and the culture around this huge race this uh, 24-hour race so he was filling in details for me that i don't think the movie provided so i kind of wish it kind of built up the race a little bit more uh, but you know i not to take away anything from the movie it is a brilliant piece of uh, filmmaking and uh, yeah, I totally agree with you too. The performances were awesome. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend. It's really entertaining, and I think I think you know the whole family can watch it. It's not it's not like a there's nothing dark or crass about it. No, not at all. It's it's pretty wholesome, and I I agree. Like I I did want to know more about the race that kind of they were all leading up to. Wish they kind of explored that or explained that a little better, but that's okay. Yeah. All right, cool. my number What's four. Yeah, my number four movie is Knives Out. It's a Ooh. film by writer-director Ryan Johnson, and I feel like he understands genre so well and all the tropes in each genre. And every movie he's done, I feel like he's subverted genre conventions. Uh, from the detective story in Brick to Star Wars and The Last Jedi, he's done it again and again. Uh, and now he's doing it with the whodunit mystery genre. And I don't want to say too much about the plot te- details here either, uh, because I think the less you know, the bigger the surprise. The cast is so stacked with some very surprising turns for each character, and the storytelling just grips you right from the beginning. It does a lot of fun things with the mystery, and keeps you invested until the very end. It's so much fun. And I think it's even more impressive that it was done with such a small budget, and also with how fast he actually pumped this movie out. Uh, the movie also has a very clear message that isn't too preachy or ham-fisted. And I think it's something that every person, no matter what political background you come from, uh, can agree on. Yes. Um, I think, you know, in addition to, you know, we have Knives Out, Parasite, and Joker. They all kind of comment on uh, similar things. So, um yeah, I I, uh, I feel like this year was a year of movies just trying to provide some commentary on the, the state of the world. And I feel like Parasite and Knives Out together, they, they have a very sharp commentary and uh, definitely worth seeing and worth talking about. Yeah, I agree. I will save my thoughts 
<laughs> All right, here we go. Top three. Top three of 2019. Oh, Joe, what, what is your number three? Number three is a film I watched last night, uh, 1917. <laughs> Uh, I knew, movie. I knew, I knew it would be really high on your list. <laughs> yes, this movie was so good. Uh, I, I, I feel like I start each review in this episode as this movie was so good. But I mean, what's a top ten, right? If anyway, um, this film really was a technical marvel. It was stunning in that. I knew going in, okay, I had heard that this movie was shot, it made to look like it was all one shot. So I was looking for the seams, you know, kind of like where they kind of tricked it and stitched it so that, you know, it wasn't one shot, but they, you know, I couldn't find, I couldn't find very many, which is just amazing to me. I was like, I'm on to you, Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins. I'm on to you. And I couldn't find very many of the seams. And that's just marvelous to me it really um kind of hooked me because i was looking for that but then at the end of the day when the movie kind of get gets going i i stopped i stopped looking at that and started really sinking into the emotion of the story and it's phenomenal it's remarkable and and it really communicated i mean most war movies will communicate how devastating war is, but this one to me is the most impactful I've seen in a long time in how cruel and miserable and just in a lot of ways nonsensical war is. Um, and at the heart of it, it's a story of two soldiers who are just trying to do their job. And, but there was also familial connection there and, um, there was brotherhood, there was friendship, there was courage, there was perseverance, a huge range of emotions just kind of clashing all together in this splendid harmony of of a movie that flows, literally flows because it's supposed to be like a one take sort of feel and it really does flow and um, and it just looks remarkable and Roger Deakins He's the greatest of all time. <laughs> I think he is the greatest. Um, there was one scene in particular where my mouth was just open through the whole thing. Um, just the way the lights were being used and manipulated and the way the camera was following the character. And I was just stunned. I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this. Like, I cannot believe this is real. Like someone did this. And someone was holding a camera and achieved this. It, it was, I am gushing. <laughs> so that is my number three, 1917. Well, yeah. Job, my number, th my number three is 1917 as well. <laughs> I had a friend, nice. I had a friend tell me, or I was, I was telling one of my friends about this movie and how you have to see it on the big screen. And then I had another friend sitting there, uh, and he said, I, I don't think so. You can just wait till DVD or Blu-ray and just watch oh. it at home. I wanted to, at that moment, I turned into Joker and started dancing. It was just, it was like nothing made sense anymore. <laughs> I just snapped as a person. <laughs> that broke my heart because this movie is, 
a masterpiece. It is a technical marvel, like you said. I, I, I haven't written down here, technical marvel. <laughs> and you said the same words. Uh, I feel like this decade has been pushing the envelope in terms of what is possible in filmmaking, and it has ended with a huge bang with this movie. And like you said, there's no cuts, no breaks in the movie. The movie doesn't stop. This is insanely hard to do. Everything in the environment has to be set up and dressed so that wherever the characters and camera moves, all the details are there. And there's so much detail. There's things sticking out of the ground. There's debris. There's bodies. There's, you know, bullets. It's, it's crazy how much detail is in every shot. And obviously the entire movie isn't one continuous takes, right? Like you said, there are hidden cuts and seams here that uh, we don't really register as an audience. It was hard for me to find them as well. Um, but they still had to shoot sequences continuously for sev several minutes at a time. And just imagine within that one continuous take, if anything screws up, if a, if a gun doesn't come out quickly enough, if a lighter doesn't work, if a line gets messed up, the take is ruined and you can't use it. So the, pre the uh, precision of everyone involved has to be 100% on point or, or else it doesn't work. The weather has to be on point. Uh, the, everything is overcast in this movie. If it's not overcast, if there's sun, they, they can't shoot it because it's not consistent with the previous scene. It's just insane. You know, No other movie of this scale has been done like this before. Um, you think of Birdman, Gravity, The Revenant. I just think there's something about long takes that is so immersive for the audience. Yes. And I think this is the truest form of cinematic immersion, in my opinion, more so than 3D, which was, I feel like, a complete gimmick. And I'm so glad that phase, that era of cinema is kind of over. I don't know. We'll see when James Cameron comes back with Avatar. Uh, he's the <laughs> one who kind of kicked off the craze. So, I mean, maybe he can instill life into it. But I, I feel like it's fading out, and I'm glad. I feel like IMAX and long takes like that's the way to get us immersed and yes. i think at, at some at a lot of points during this movie i actually felt like it was a video game right we're, we're following these characters as they trekked across different landscapes yes um yeah, yeah and, and i just feel like the action feels so much more intense and thrilling because of the way it's done here it's not a gimmick it's it's done so tastefully and with purpose uh yeah, it's. I love this film, and it is a technical technical marvel. I feel like it deserves all the accolades. Yes, I agree. I want to. I want to agree with uh, what you said about how it feels like a video game. In that a video game, you kind of feel like you're you're the character. You're you're taking in the world as the character. That that was the same effect this film had on me. Yeah, like. I was like hearing the footsteps, hearing the surrounding um, sounds. It was, it was very immersive. And shout out to the two main actors, uh, Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay, for nailing this. They with the long takes, they they were spot on. I I don't even want to think about how long they had to rehearse to to get this, you know. Um, but it was it was great. It was great. So. Um, our number three ladies and gentlemen yes please go see it and please see it in the cinema all right yes but into the seat in the theater the biggest screen possible yeah i i agree i i don't care if you have too much going on or you need to see star wars for the sixth time cancel that one and go see 1917 instead in <laughs> dolby cinema or imax do not go to one of those side theaters like 
that should be banned from this the- theatrical run. Um, <laughs> but we don't feel that strongly about it, so we should just move on. <laughs> All right, Job, here we go. Your number two. Number two number movie two. of 2019. Number two is Little Women. Uh, Whoa! Like I said before. Yeah, woo! Um, like I said before, uh, give Greta Gerwig all the things. I thought this was a masterpiece movie. Um, it was so beautiful. It was charming. The All the actresses in this film were spot on. I, I came into it actually not having read the book, not having seen the previous film. So I actually came in fresh. I, I didn't know the story. I didn't know the characters. I didn't know anything really. Um, and I was... I was emotionally hooked and invested as if I had known these characters forever. Um, and that's just a testament to the acting prowess of Saoirse Ronan and Emma Watson. And um, her name's escaping me right now. Um, what's Florence Pugh? Yes, Florence Pugh. Those three. And Laura Dern also. It just... All of these actresses together, just there's this crackling energy about them that also is so warm. It it just doesn't feel sharp. It feel it doesn't feel cynical. It just feels like family. And my wife uh, comes from a family full of sisters, and they have one brother too. But um, they, I think this feels so familiar in that I I've seen them all interact in similar ways. And it's just really lovely. Big families can be really chaotic, but they are also really beautiful. And this is this movie felt like a throwback to a bygone era where family was so important and was so huge. Even when people had individual um, dreams and aspirations, the family got together and like dreamed it with her. Or you know, um, and I think that's really lovely. And I I I pray and hope that one day our society can get back to family values that that strongly. Um, but until then, we'll always have little women to watch uh, <laughs> and enjoy. Yeah, I, I, I love this film. And I, I think you put it so beautifully, right? The, the warmth of this film and just how sweet this family is. Uh, I totally agree. I, I mean, it is hard to decide between all these movies, right? Like we said, uh, 2019, lots and lots of high quality films, uh, this one, this one could have been my, easily my number two as well. Um, nice. My number two is A Hidden Life. This is a film nice. written and directed by Terrence Malick, who is best known for making long, quiet films with very little narrative structure and stunning cinematography. They are more like visual poems than movies. And what I found so fascinating about this film is that Malick took his aesthetic and his style and applied it to a traditional narrative, I think for the first time, because uh, I think all his other movies are just really, there's no structure to it. Uh, it works so beautifully in this film. His, uh, it's just the cinematography is just gorgeous. The way it captures the, the Austrian uh, um, countryside landscapes, it's like, it makes me want to go there and visit these locations. Uh, the film takes place during World War II. It's about an Austrian farmer and devout Catholic who refuses to fight for the Nazi army when he's drafted. And um, what I appreciate so much about this movie is this man's quiet determination to do what is right. He doesn't hold a rally. He doesn't shout at the mountaintops. 
he doesn't post it on Twitter or Instagram. I mean, he can't because it's you know World War II. But you know, my point is, he's not trying to start a revolution. He he has his own conviction and he just tries to live it live it out. And I think it's it just beautifully shows how someone's faith perseveres through external persecution. Uh, everyone in the village, even the church, tries to get this man to change his mind, but uh, his. He just he just wants to honor God and he doesn't want to violate his conscience and uh, he kind of uh, he goes against the grain uh, so to speak so uh, wow. it's just it's a it's a fantastic film it's it is also very long and because it's quiet and and, and there's a lot of silence uh, it, it you know may not be easy for some people to get through but I think it's definitely worth a watch uh, because of the subject matter and I think it's very pertinent to today as well wow i did not see this film but i i want to watch it now um thanks to your review awesome i (laughs) i uh i have a feeling i know what your number one is oh do you yeah so Um, let's let's get to it number one movie (laughs) number one movie is knives out yes (laughs) (laughs) this is such a good uh Knives Out is my favorite movie of all of 2019. Um, for a lot of the reasons you said, Mike, uh, it it's a subversion on the whodunit genre. Uh, the whodunit genre is kind of fun to me, but it's never been something I've sought out or been like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to see that. I, I couldn't get myself to go watch Murder at the Orient Express. It's not, some, it's not a genre I'm that interested in, but when I heard that... Ryan Johnson, my favorite director, was doing a whodunit. I'm like, I want to watch it. I want to watch this whodunit. <clears throat> it's so good in that it it kind of doesn't do what you think a whodunit would do. Um, and I just can't talk too much about it without getting into spoilers. But um, it's just a fun ride. You don't have to, it, the movie is gentle in that you don't have to actually work that hard in your own head to kind of parse out what's going on, um, unlike certain Christopher Nolan movies. <clears throat> um, <laughs> you don't have to work too hard to think about, like, am I, what, did I, no, uh, it kind of guides you through, but it's, this film isn't so much about the mystery as it is about the characters and also just how it plays out, and it's just delightful in that way and so knives out is the number one movie of the year i adore ryan johnson's work i love brick i love brothers bloom i love looper i love the last jedi i love this i will love anything he well let's not okay let's not get carried away here but uh (laughs) but things are things are looking good for his uh filmography uh now and yeah yeah this is a great entry to that and I couldn't pre-order the uh, Blu-ray fast enough. I I can't wait to dive back into this world. Awesome. I'm I'm actually really surprised to hear that you are not a fan of the whodunit genre. I thought you would be. Is it? It's not so much that I don't like it. It's just I don't. It's not something I seek out. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, yeah. So. I think that's like me in uh, westerns. I'm I'm just not as into westerns as uh, right. some people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you have any guesses to what my number one movie is? Gosh, I. It can't be Star Wars. 
Uh, it's it? definitely not. No, it's not Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> my name's not Joe Bang, okay? <laughs> oh, All right, my number is, one movie. Oh, I know, what it, I know what it is. I know what it is. Okay, what's your guess? It's, uh, are you okay if I get it right? Yeah, I'm totally. It's uh, Avengers Endgame. Yeah! <laughs> okay, so <laughs> one of the arguments made for why people need to see movies in the theater is that the experiencing cinema is a communal experience, right? You laugh together, you cheer together, you cry together as an audience. My theatrical experience for this movie is unmatched. There are movies where I've seen the crowd uh, was memorable and ecstatic. The first Avengers movie was one of them. I remember The Matrix. Uh, that was another. But I've never watched a movie in theaters where it was perfectly okay to scream out loud at the top of your lungs because everyone around us was doing it <laughs> i was convulsing in my seat i was uh <laughs> i was just so filled with pure joy there's no other way to describe it and as a kid who grew up on so many of these characters and going through the marvel cinematic universe from its beginning this was an enormous culmination of everything i love about this world uh, the way it brings together all these characters, like two dozen of them, right, from all those movies, and how it weaves them together in a hugely satisfying and emotional conclusion. It feels so loving and tender how they treated this. Um, I feel like this is the culmination, that kind of culmination I was looking for in The Rise of Skywalker. That's why I don't feel like that should be the end of the saga. I, I feel like it, it, that franchise deserves way more than what we got in Episode Nine. Um Going back to Endgame, I love what I thought the movie, you know, I love how what I thought the movie was going to be was actually covered in the first 20 minutes of the movie. I was shocked when I first saw it. It was a complete subversion of my expectations. And I was so excited to not know where the rest of the movie was going. Uh, just the pure joy is just utter joy. That's the only way I can describe the movie. I, I laughed. I, I, I was excited. I screamed. I screamed more. And then I cried. Uh, I, I feel like this is cinema, right? This is what movies are meant to do. It's meant to impart feelings to this audience. And I feel like it's definitive for me. Uh, this is my favorite movie of the year. It's one of my favorite movies of the decade, actually. All I'm right. I'm so glad you love it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'm surprised it didn't make your top 10. But, uh, you know, I, I remember after the movie, you did have some qualms about the storytelling or some aspects of the storytelling. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I don't want to talk about that, dude. I'm, I'm really glad you enjoy it, and most of the qualms went away after repeat viewings, anyway. So, um, yeah. All right. That's uh, that's the thing about this year. It, it's uh -huh. it's been it's a crowded top ten. Like there were some films that should have made it in most other years. So. Yeah, it's uh yeah, yeah that's yeah it's hard. Um, honestly, my list my list kept changing as <laughs> as. November began like uh, yeah. so many movies yeah. so many great movies got pushed out of my top 10 because I just you know I, I, it was hard it was hard to decide you know what should be in there but you know right. you just got to go with what you feel and I, I feel like the yeah the uh, end of the year was really uh, backloaded with all these amazing films yeah. um, Terminator Dark Fate really worked hard to make it into my top two but um <laughs> just was having a hard time you know? it came out in early november so you know all those other movies pushed it out right i'm sure yeah 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 well think speaking of the movies that got pushed out let's get to honorable mentions now uh, yeah. i know 
our, our episode's already over an hour, so let's let's just uh, let's get just yeah. say a quick blurb about it. Why don't you just give me all your honorable mentions, and I'll get to mine. Uh, so we'll, yeah. we won't switch on and off like that. You can just go go through your list. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll give like the three or four or or five. Um, my top honorable mention, just barely making it outside of the top ten, was The Lighthouse, uh, a a film starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Uh, it's it's terrifying. It's creepy. It's it, it gets under your skin. It crawls inside of you and threatens to eat your guts and makes you just feel less than human, matey. You know, and um, but <laughs> so well done. I I I would not recommend anyone seeing it if you're just kind of not into feeling gross. Um, but it, that's how effective this movie was in making that happen. So the lighthouse is shot in black and white. It's shot on film. It looks gorgeous. It's also really scary. Um, not in a horror, horror movie type of sense, but it, it, it just creeps you out. So really good. Joker was up there, um, too. It just kind of got pushed out towards the end of the year by all the other films. Um, we've talked a lot about that. Um, and then three uh, honorable mentions that would have made it in most years, um, but are pretty like blockbustery to me is Godzilla: King of Monsters, Spider Man: Far From Home, and Avengers: Endgame. All three of those, I did enjoy a lot and found a lot of entertainment value out of. Um, they're not masterpieces of cinema. Uh, Martin Scorsese won't be watching those anytime soon, but um, but th- they. They are really fun. I enjoyed them a lot. I watched Spider-Man Far From Home at midnight um, and came away feeling like I wanted to just stay awake the rest of the day because I was so excited. Um, Godzilla was a lot of fun. It was disappointing in that it was yet another monster movie that about a, a t- tidy, uh, the title character that didn't show the title character that much. Um, and Endgame, we just talked about. I, I had qualms with it at first. I did enjoy it. I did scream along with you, Mike. Um, you heard me. Um, and came away with a few nitpicks. But at the end of the day, the, the nitpicks are not that important in a movie like this. And before people say, oh, you know, like you're just dumbing it down for your own personal enjoyment. That's not what I mean. Is What is the purpose of a movie? Is it to wrap up 20 plus films before it? Is it to just give you that cathartic ending? Is If that's the purpose of it, this movie succeeds beyond any expectations I had. So those are some of my honorable mentions. Another one is Ready or Not. I really like Ready or Not. But anyway, I, I'm talking too long, I think. All right. Uh, yeah, I have actually a lot of overlap with you for honorable mentions. Um, I'll just talk about them right now. So I have a Ford V Ferrari. That's in nice. there. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Ready or Not. Uh, it's a, That's a movie about... It's a really low-budget, small movie. It takes place in one location. Uh, but it's really exciting. Lots of action, uh, surprisingly, and, uh, and suspense. Uh, highly recommend that one. Although uh, very R-rated and very violent. So uh, avoid that yes. if, if you're not into that thing. Um, I really love the... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, and uh, The Farewell. 
Now, here's some movies that uh, weren't mentioned uh, by Job. Um, I really liked Blinded by the Light. It's a movie about a Pakistani British teenager who falls in love with Bruce Springsteen's, Springsteen's uh, music. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, uh, written and directed by Taika Waititi. It's a very charming childhood coming of age type movie set in Nazi Germany. He somehow blends a very serious and dark situation with the levity of childhood perfectly, uh, in my opinion. Uh, another recommendation, another honorable mention is Dr. Sleep. Uh, it's a sequel to The Shining, starring Hugh McGregor. And it's totally unlike The Shining. It actually feels more like a comic book film set in a horror genre. I uh, really love the storytelling and characters in that one. Uh, I really love the uh, uh, two documentaries, uh, Apollo 11, uh, which is about the moon landing. And uh, the way they cleaned up old footage from the 1960s to make it look like it was shot in 2018, uh, it was stunning to look at. Mm. And another one was Fire, uh, F-Y-R-E. You can find this on Netflix, but it's a really great documentary that talks about the fire, disastrous uh, fire festival. And so all these movies actually were in my top 10 at one point uh, in the year, and they've all, they were all pushed out because uh, the year just ended so strongly. And I, I just want to mention one movie that I did not get to see, and I really wanted to because of all the reviews, but it was in limited re- release, and you can only see it if you're in New York and L.A., and you know who has time to drive to L.A., right? Uh, but that, that's A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I really want to see that. Uh, I'm sure it's a great film. I uh, just didn't get a chance to see it. <clears throat> all right, so there, there was our top 10 and our honorable mentions. Let's now look ahead to... 2020. Uh, Job, I, I just want to hear your uh, five most anticipated films. Uh, you can give your uh, in however order that you want. Sure. I'm going to be, I'm going to go fun with this one. Uh, not so much like art house movies that I'm excited about, but just stuff I'm, I'm jazzed about, even if I know they're not going to be that good. Uh, Bill and Ted face the music. I love Bill and Ted, uh, the movies and, um, it's coming out um, with Keanu. Anything with Keanu Reeves, I'm excited about. Um, I'm excited for Godzilla versus Kong, um, for the same reasons I enjoyed King of Monsters. I'm excited for Tenet, Christopher Nolan's mysterious movie, um, of which we still have no idea what it's about. I'm excited for Mulan, the live action movie. Uh, if any of you have listened enough to our podcast, we're not. F- huge fans of the live action remakes but this sounds like it's not a remake so much as a reimagining and looks like it's kind of more about the historical legend of Mulan Um, but anyway it looks fun and um, Top Gun Top Gun is a movie I am so excited to see as well Uh, Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise working together equals mission that is mission so um, I'm excited for that Awesome. Top Gun Maverick. Um, <coughs> Top Gun Maverick, not the original Top Gun. Right. All right. My, uh, my number f- Yeah, my number five most anticipated movie of the year is A Quiet Place Part Two. Uh, loved the first film. It was one of my favorite movies of 2017 when it came out. It put me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Amazing concept. I can't wait to see that world expanded. My number four is Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Tom Cruise flying jets is extremely enticing, but I think what 
it actually makes me really excited about this. I, I know the prospect of Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie, uh, t- that team together again uh, is very strong and exciting. But I'm really excited by the fact that this is actually directed by Joseph Kaczynski, the guy who did Tron Legacy and Oblivion, which also starred Tom Cruise. I feel like the guy is a visual artist. He creates such bombastic sensory theatrical experiences. Um, He mixes music so well with clean visuals. I think he's the perfect guy to take the reins for Top Gun. And um, already from the trailers, it looks stunning. Uh, So I can't wait. Uh, I will definitely be seeing that with you. Uh, my number three is Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm a huge, huge Ghostbusters fan. The first two movies are the, uh, like, they're the ones that you kind of wore out the VHS tapes from watching it too much. Um, the trailer for this movie made me believe in this film. How it reintroduces the Ghostbusters 30 years later is kind of like how The Force Awakens brought back Star Wars after 40 years. Uh, I, th- I think it's the, the way that they're doing it is, is perfect, it's exciting. Uh, there's so much nostalgia in that trailer, and I can't wait to see who shows up from uh, the original cast. Uh, my number two is Dune. I've never read the book or seen the David Lynch film. I've heard about it, but never got around to doing it. Uh, in 2020, I'll finally get to the Dune story, and that's because of one man. Freaking Dinus Villeneuve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. He's a freaking artist making one sci-fi masterpiece after another. They said that this is somewhere in between Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Oh my God, I'm sold. I'm there opening night. Let's go see it. Mm. And, and uh, my number one movie of the uh, most anticipated movie of the year is uh, Tenet. Uh, any year we get a Christopher Nolan film, you know it's going to be a big year. The guy can make whatever movie he wants with 100% creative control with whatever budget he wants. No other filmmaker today has such command over his craft at the blockbuster stage like Christopher Nolan. Uh, it's an original story. We don't know what it's, no one knows what it's about, uh, except maybe your wife who <laughs> is working on it. But, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> it's not like she told us, right? So uh, I can't wait. I, I'm actually planning a, a 10-week Christopher Nolan marathon. I'm going to watch one Christopher Nolan movie a week. Uh, Joby, you're welcome to join. But uh, oh, I'm so man, excited. Yeah. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be there. We're going to see this in IMAX uh, opening night, opening week. So, 70 millimeter uh, IMAX? Oh, absolutely. There's no question, right? Uh, yes. No question. All right. Mike, so, this was a fun conversation. Yeah, it was one that I, I was really excited about, and it didn't disappoint. I, I really enjoyed talking to you about these, uh, these awesome movies. And uh, can't wait for this year. This year, I feel like it's going to be another strong year, hopefully. Uh, in movies all right uh do you have anything else that you want to add or uh should we wrap up no i i just i do want to say like we started this podcast talking about 2018 top movies and the fact we've reached this point uh talking about another year of movies is really enjoyable and and gratifying so thanks for thanks for coming along on this ride everyone who's still kind of (laughs) listening And thanks, Mike, for being a great podcast partner. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I forgot. Our very first episode was Top 10 Films of 2018. Um, you know, a long time ago, we, we talked about starting a movie podcast together. And we, we had recorded our top 10 films of, I think, 2016 or something. That's right. Um, yeah. We should so, release that. 
<laughs> release the Snyder Cut. Uh, eventually, probably, uh, when, I, when I think uh, we're a little bit better, then we, I think we still have yeah. some, a ways to go. A lot but, to do, uh, yeah. Yeah. But, I, 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 you know, honestly, it's been, it's been a lot of fun uh, podcasting with you. Uh, just to be able to have a conversation about movies and to talk about it more in depth rather than just write like a, an article online or on our blog. So I think that's what we were doing before we started doing this. We were just reviewing movies like on our blog, writing a, like a, a brief article. But I feel like in this format is a conversation and we can go really in depth on points that we really want to talk about. And yeah. um, I mean, so far, I feel like our movies all the movies that we talked about in 2019, we kind of agreed on. Maybe maybe we'll have uh, some more differing opinions this year. All right. Uh, well, thank you, uh, those of you who are still listening. Uh, it's an hour and 16 minutes into this podcast. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> for supporting us, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you all next time. Thank you.